Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, and we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. You can also log on to www.radioislam.com to check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and more. Now, if you haven't done so already, follow us on social media on every platform, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. If you'd like to contribute or join into tonight's, tonight's discussion, make a point or ask a question. Give us a call at 312-750-1178. You can also tweet me directly at Imam Tariq al Good evening, Radio Islam family. We've got a, a great program for you tonight. Uh, we're going to examine a recent hate crime, or what should be classified as a hate crime, but we're going to talk about it here. In the second half of tonight's program, we'll be joined in studio by Dr. Suad Abdul-Khabir, scholar, artist, and activist. She's also the founder and editor of Sapello Square, author of Muslim Cool, Race, Religion, and Hip-Hop in the United States. But before we get on to that, let's look at a story that's making the rounds on social media but probably won't be talked about other in passing on the other major news outlets. So... I'd like to bring your attention to a sobering look at the state of our country. Now, since the election of Donald Trump, hate crimes have increased. And according to data from the Nonpartisan Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, rates have increased above 20%. But we're not making the statement that hate crimes began with Trump. We know that we have a long history of this here. So the instance I'm pointing out is one that some would like to look at as an aberration, as an anomaly. But history tells a different story. And this is something that, con- that should concern Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Jews, blacks, whites, Arabs, South Asians, all of us. Because it speaks to the sickness that has plagued us. As a, as a nation and it's a sickness that we must work to conquer so it, it points to the, to the work that we must all engage in if we're going to be agents of healing and I honestly believe that those who are listening in right now are the types of people that can make that healing a reality so on to the story so this took place I believe in, on Sunday in Claremont, New Hampshire A group of white teens attacked an eight-year-old biracial boy and hanged him by a noose. So this is according to his family and the police. Now, the police in Claremont, New Hampshire, are refusing to release information about the case. Now, according to the victim's grandmother, I believe her name is Lori Slatery, he was playing with a group of children and teens when they began to taunt him with racist epithets and throw sticks and rocks at him. And this is not something that it 
happened just once. From her accounts, this same group has also teased and, uh, as I just mentioned, you know, used racial slurs when referring to him. So someone stood on a picnic table and the group wrapped a rope from a nearby tire, from a nearby tire swing, and they wrapped it around his throat. Then they kicked him off the table. So this eight-year-old boy, he swung back and forth three times before he was able to free himself. And none of the teens came to his aid. So despite the grandmother's account and stating that it was a racist attack, but racist or not, the Claremont Police Department is not giving information about the teen perpetrators because in the words of Claremont, New Hampshire's police chief, I think his name is Mark Chase, his response is these people need to be protected. And the people that he's talking about, he's talking about the perpetrators. He says mistakes they make as a young child should not have to follow them for the rest of their lives. Now, their mistake almost took the life of an eight-year-old. So I guess he means that we're not going to look at the parents of these teens and ask them how their children became radicalized or ask what church they attend and look at the minister or reverend and see if he has been guilty of preaching hate speech. Now, folks, this wasn't tagging someone's garage or even stealing someone's car. This group of teens hung an eight-year-old from a tree like it was 1917 Georgia. So this has all the makings of a hate crime, but the juvenile justice system has rehabilitation as its undergirding principle. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but comments like the one made by the chief, Mark Chase, they reflect and they shine a glaring light on the double standard that's employed when the perpetrators are young white teens. So don't look for any statements demanding that the white community leaders decry this as an act of hate. There will be no conversations by network pundits looking into the family dynamics of these young people or the community that these young people come from. They will not bear the stigma or be stigmatized as, a, as an incubator of hate. The parents of these teens will not be asked to stand up and say, I don't know where they get these kind of ideas from. They weren't raised like that. Most importantly, There will be no connection between this incident and the 3,446 black people that were lynched in the United States of America between 1882 and 1968. These numbers will be looked at as irrelevant in this case. The actions of these young people will be taken as a random, localized event. And in no way will they be betrayed um, as evidence, as evidence of a sick pathology of violent white supremacy consistent with very easily 
uncovered, uh, very easy to see, documented behavior, and a history of some, and I'm, I'm emphasizing some, some white people in America. Because we don't want to paint with the same broad strokes that our mainstream media has been guilty of. And some within the media are trying to be agents of change. They're trying to shine a different light. They're trying to craft a different narrative when it comes to reporting on crime, reporting on instances where race uh, is involved. They're trying to take that out as the main factor, as the main selling point. So we applaud those folks that are in the media, those journalists, those reporters, the producers, those people that are behind the scenes that are aware that if we're going to have a constructive dialogue, if we're going to have any kind of healing, it's going to have to be done in a way where we're sensitive to the, to the history, the present that we live in that's been shaped by the history that we come from. So, as I said, this is a sick pathology, a sick pathology of violent white supremacy, and it is documented. But because these young people are not black, because they are not Muslim, they will receive protection. They will receive rehabilitation. And the young eight-year-old boy who was hung from a tree like thousands before him is left with nothing, nothing but scars. So, you're listening to Radio Islam, and here we want to make sure that we are a platform that speaks truth, whether it is for us or against us. That is one of, one of the, the, the mandates, that is one of the things that we are commanded uh, as Muslims. For our non-Muslim audience, we are told to, O you who believe, stand firmly for justice as witnesses to God, even if it be against your own self, right? Or your parents, or your kin, rich folks, or, or poor. The point is, we won't have any kind of real healing if we cannot speak the truth. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to speak the truth, and we're here to do it in a way that allows us to be agents of, of positive change. And we highlight this story because you're not likely to hear this story on the major news networks. You're not likely to see this story in the print media. And I want to give recognition to, to The Root because I think they're one of, the few, one of the few outlets that has covered this story and other stories like it. And there's another that we're going to look at when we come back. We're going to take a, a quick break, but we would love to hear your thoughts. We'd like to hear how you see this. Are we oversimplifying? Are we not... Should we try to leave the past in the past? And really, don't, don't take that too seriously because um, the past is how we got here. But we would still love to hear your thoughts. You can call us 
at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. You're listening to Radio Islam. We will be back in just a moment. traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM. We broadcast daily from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central. You can listen to our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. Make sure if you haven't liked us on social media, do so. Take a moment. You can go to uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Follow us at Radio Islam USA. And also as a reminder, you can go to SoundCloud. Normally we have the the night's broadcast up the very next day. So you can go and listen. Go through the archives. We've got some great programs. Leave some comments. Let us know what you think. As a matter of fact, let us know if there's a particular topic that you'd like to have us cover. We would be happy to do so. You can give us a call. Join the conversation. Tell us what you think at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Tweet us at Radio Islam USA, or you can tweet me directly at Imam Tariq el So, folks, we began by just bringing up the point that we are living in a very interesting time that we have seen a spike in hate crimes, not the invention of hate crimes, but a spike in hate crimes since the election. As a matter of fact, that spike began while now President Trump, then candidate Trump, was on the campaign trail. So we are living 
uh, and we are looking at a sickness that we need to and that we have to and that this listening audience, because I believe that this listening audience is one that cares about how we impact, how we address the issues that are bringing us down. So we want to share one more quick, uh, quick story that you are not likely to see covered in the mainstream media. And that deals with an Arab-American family, I believe they're Iraqi-American, uh, family that was arrested after a father tried to deposit a large check from a home sale. I mean, and to hear this, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. But to give you a little bit, a little bit about this, um, this brother is an Iraqi-American doctoral student. And he, along with his family, was arrested after trying to deposit a check. So this brother, his name is Sattar Ali, and he moved to the United States in 1993. He took a check for $151,000 from the sale of his family's home in Michigan to Wichita's Emprise Bank. And he brought verification documents with him. But a few minutes after he presented the tellers with the check, he was in handcuffs. As he was escorted out and found himself in the police cruiser, he found his daughter in the back seat waiting on him, along with his wife. So what are we to take away from this? The bank's response was that they thought it was a fraudulent check. But where do you get arrested, along with your entire family, for a bad check, if that was actually the case? It is not just the violence that is increased. It's not just the damage to property that we have to concern ourselves with. It is the othering. It is the suspicion that, is, that, has been, that has been cultivated, the suspicion that has been encouraged from anybody who looks, who looks different, anybody who looks like the images of folks that were plastered along the television with terrorists under their name, anybody who looks to be somebody or who is made out to be a threat. These are very real concerns, and this prejudice and this bias, it has very real impact and very real um, implications for the people that are victims of these prejudices, of these biases. So it's something, as I said, it's not going to be, it won't be, um, it's not likely to be on the mainstream media. But fortunately, we are in a time where information, uh, media, it has been democratized uh, to a great degree with the uh, advent of social media, with the Internet. We have ways of getting information that otherwise would be swept under the rug. So... We just touched on that for a minute, and actually we segue very nicely because just walking into the studio to join us 
is a is a trailblazer in, in her own right. When we talk about the democratization of information, uh, the contribution that you know to the information that's given out to the public, which has been something that has been very much uh, watched over and guarded, and the access to being a part of that uh, that realm is not has not been one that traditionally people of color, let alone women, or we can actually, we can go a little bit further, let alone Muslims, have been allowed uh, to partake in. We have few publications. So we are, we are very pleased to have in the studio with us Dr. Suad Abdul-Khabir. But we're going to make you wait for it. <laughs> We're going to make you wait for it. So, <laughs> But when we come back after the break, we are going to be speaking with uh, Dr. Suad, who is an uh, artist, uh, scholar, activist, author. Uh, do you knit also? Uh, backgammon? No? Spades? Dance. <laughs> Dancer. So we're going to be back in just a moment to speak with her. So uh, get, your, get, your, get your pens ready. Uh, you can reach us at seven. What am I saying? Seven at three one two seven five zero one one seven eight. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Radio Islam. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Foreclosure is hard on every member of the family, but your family is not alone. If you're struggling with your mortgage, there is help. To learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. 
Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. You can also review our prior shows at radioislam.com. There you can look at articles, guest bios, upcoming programming, leave us comments, love notes. Uh, We broadcast every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. If you'd like to join the conversation, because this is the conversation you want to be in, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. We are joined in studio, as I said, by Real Trailblazer. I think that is that is an appropriate uh, description of Dr. Suad Abdul-Kabir. Uh, sister, I hold in high esteem. And I'm really appreciative of of her being here to talk with us and you. Let me just give you a little bit about who is in the audience, who is in the studio with us. So, Suad Abdul-Khabir is a scholar, artist, activist who uses anthropology and performance to explore the intersections of race and popular culture. She She is currently an associate professor of American culture and Arab and Muslim American studies at the University of Michigan. She received her Ph.D. in cultural anthropology from Princeton University and is a graduate from the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University and completed the Islamic Studies Diploma Program at the Institute at Abu Nur University, Damascus. Her latest work, Muslim Cool, Race, Religion, and Hip-Hop in the United States, is an an ethnography on Islam and hip-hop that examines how intersecting ideas of Muslimness and blackness challenge and reproduce the meanings of race in the U.S. Suad's written work on Islam and hip-hop is accompanied by a performance ethnography sampled Beats of Muslim Life. Sampled is a one-woman solo performance designed to present and represent her research and findings to diverse audiences as part of her commitment to public scholarship. In line with this commitment, Suad leads... Am I going to say it right? Sapelo. Sapelo Square. <laughs> so at least Sapelo Square, the first website dedicated to the comprehensive documentation and analysis of the black U.S. American Muslim experience. She has also written for The Root, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, Ebony Magazine, The Huffington Post, Religious Dispatches, and Transmissions, and has appeared on Al Jazeera English. Additionally, Suad is a senior project advisor for the U.S. Public Television Award-winning documentary New Muslim Cool, and her poetry was featured in the anthology Living Islam Out Loud, American Muslim Women Speak. I told you, your sister's bad. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Suad. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate coming on the show. Well, it is our pleasure. It is our pleasure. So we, uh, we know that you are, you are busy, and, 
you've got some uh, some some upcoming uh, events that are planned. I do. So yeah. So before we even get into some of the things that I want to ask that some of our listeners want to know, you want to go ahead and tell us about about that. Yeah, I can. Um, so let's see. Um, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm heading to LA, okay. the LA area um, this week, and next week I'm going to have two events. Uh, one is going to be a sort of a Muslim cool. Islam and hip hop sort of conversation at California State LA. Okay. Um, that's on Wednesday, um, September 20th. And then I'm doing sort of my big kind of like Muslim cool West Coast book party um, at the University of Southern California on that Saturday, the 23rd at 7 p.m. Um, and that we having is sort of a, a book reading, but we also have performances. So we have Omar Effendum, who um, is a friend of mine and a dope MC um, who lives out in LA, and also Alia Sharif, mm-hmm. who also is um, an up and coming uh, emerging Muslim woman, black Muslim hip hop artist. Uh, we recently got DJ Kaleem, so he's going to be DJing for us. And yeah. um, uh, Dr. Najiba Saeed is going to be the MC for the night. So it's going to be a good, a good look. And we have lots of sponsors. We have USC and um, Muslim Arc and Band Claremont and the Masjid out there in LA. It's, it's LA. So a lot of different sponsors for supporting the event. And then I come back east. Mm-hmm. I skip over Chicago. <laughs> I come back east. <laughs> and I'm doing a talk on Muslims, Black Lives Matter, and Race in America at Union Theological Seminary on the 27th of okay. September in the evening. And then another Muslim cool event at the Asian American Writers Workshop on the 28th. Man. Man. <laughs> yes, that's how I feel, too. Okay, so a lot of... Uh, well, let me ask this. How long have you been in Chicago? So, it's kind of shocking when I think about it, actually, because mm-hmm. I never thought I would be here this long. But yeah. this marks my 10th year in Chicago. Okay, so listeners, I, I want you all to know that <laughs> uh, there there has to be a cutoff at, at some point where... You, you know, where you have to just say, you know, you have to just start repping uh, Chicago. Mm. But uh, the, the, the doctor is, she, she's fighting it. And <laughs> tell, where, where are you so, from? Yeah, so Chicago is where <laughs> I reside, right? But I'm Brooklyn till I die. Okay, so okay? I just, I wanted to get it on air. So, <laughs> you know, y'all can, you can write in and, and see, see if we can change that maybe in another five years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No, no. I mean, Chicago's been good to me, alhamdulillah. You know, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really dynamic, particularly Chicago has a really dynamic history um, mm-hmm. when it comes to black folks and Muslims, and that's always really kind of a, a joy um, to kind of discover and experience. Um, but I'm from Brooklyn. So, okay, all right. Yeah. No, enough said, enough said. So uh, what was the impetus for, and see, in my head, I always want to say, say below. But it's not Sapelo. Sapelo. It's Sapelo. But that's even better. Sapelo's not that bad because some people say Sapelo, and that's really wrong. Okay. And it's funny. We actually, we just had our um, retreat, uh, our annual retreat a couple weeks ago. And so we have a little video they're working on precisely to help people nice, <laughs> nice. get the pronunciation right. Um, but Sapelo, yeah, Sapelo Square. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what was, uh, because it has been... Just watching it uh, just kind of evolve, uh, and it really is just moving. Tell us, what was the impetus for it? And for those who might not be familiar with it, mm-hmm. give us uh, give the, give us a background. Yeah. What, what brought it about? What is it? 
Yeah. yeah um, I mean, so long story short, um, you know, I um, I was previously um, faculty at Purdue University, which is in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And when I got out there, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I'm black, I'm Muslim, I'm a woman, and I'm like a unicorn out here, right? <laughs> and so I wanted to, um, and I wanted to sort of not feel that way. So I thought, you know, even if something online, even if there was just something online, I could like look at pictures of black Muslim people or something, you know, right. that would be, that would be cool. So um, I was like, you know, you know, like I like to tell people, you know, one of the things that is, I think, a hallmark of the black Muslim experience in the United States is the ethic of do for self, yes. right? So I'm like, all right, I want to do this. So I emailed a bunch of people. I was like, hey, you know. I want to do something like this. We need this both because sort of on the personal level, I wanted to kind of see myself, but also as an educator, you know, I do a lot of teaching around issues of race and religion and popular culture and not having something to link to or send students to, you know, and also in terms of just the kind of broader, you know, one of the things we say in Sapelo is that, you know, African-American or black Muslims are this really important intersection, right? An intersection of sort of black America, of the United States, and the global Muslim community, you know? Um, And being at an intersection, and one of the powerful things about intersectionality is that when you're at an intersection, you can see things in ways that other folks are going to miss, right? By the virtue of just being in that position, right? Right. Um, And, you know, also, you know, I like to say the black Muslim community in the U.S. is small, but prominent, right? Because we gave the world Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X, right? Right, right. So I think that's a really powerful experience, a really powerful perspective that is often missing um, sort of in the kind of broader conversation on black America, on the United States, and on the global Muslim community. So for all those reasons, I said, let's sort of get Sapelo together. And it took a bit of a time, you know, um, to get um, a team together to actually put it forward. But we launched in May, on Malcolm's birthday, May 19th of 2015. And so We've just hit the two-year mark, um, and it's been a it's been a really great um, experience. Um, you know, we're a collective of um, well, actually, our team is not solely Black Muslims. Um, so we're predominantly Black Muslims, predominantly Black Muslim women, actually. Okay. But we also sort of interethnic. So we have members of the team who are White American Muslims, members of the team who are South Asian, um, actually, sort of immigrant um like i sort of so he's actually an immigrant <laughs> not like immigrant muslim because i don't use that term right. but he's literally an immigrant yeah, to the United States. Yeah. yeah um and then also the people who write for us you know are across you know racial lines sort of religiously in terms of islam you know different kind of sort of sectarian lines um across the country and our team is actually international like my managing editor oh. she recently moved to cairo um our religion editor lives in edmonton canada and one of our history editors is about to spend the year in Senegal so and our reach has been international so one of the things that um, our social media coordinator has sort of alerted us to is that you know we do have an international reach so we have folks you know um, in the UAE folks in the UK folks I think even somewhere in Eastern Europe people are reading something so you know know, different parts of Africa so it's a really um, it's really fantastic I think how we've been able to reach um, folks um, and really part of what motivates I think also I should say the work um, is really about we really are trying to sort of like document analyze sort of celebrate who black Muslims are you know why and why that's important and what this and what and what that experience is going to teach us because really what we want our work to do is to be sort of catalytic right we want people to come to our site 
and find out something that moves them to sort of then want to engage in positive change in the world, right? Because this is the point. (laughs) This is the point of everything we're doing, right? It's like we do this not just to be like, oh, look, they're cool, because we are. But, (laughs) you know, but we do this because, you know, we are a community that faces a lot of um, sort of challenges, Um, white supremacy, you know, these different things. And so we're really invested, right, in challenging that. Yeah. You mentioned that a lot of the team are are women. Yes. Is this a does this surprise you? And do you think on the other side, do you think it surprises others that there seems to be? I shouldn't say seems to be. I think there is a manifestation of mm-hmm. uh, of, of black Muslim uh, uh, woman uh, women leaders mm-hmm. that have emerged. I think within the past within the past 10 years or mm-hmm. so. Uh, do you find that surprising? And do you think others are surprised when they... When no, they I mean, being a black Muslim, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't find that surprising. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it is... Um, I think women in general, black women and black Muslim women, have always been leaders in our communities. Yeah. Um, and I think what that leadership looked like was different depending on the community you were in. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that leadership, you know, people talk about this, particularly in terms of the black church, but I think it's true about um, messages as well, is not on the front, not mm-hmm. at the pulpit, you know, not on the minbar, but sort of organizing things and really being the sort of the engine that keeps things moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think perhaps what you're seeing is that we're still doing that, but we're also sort of out front as well, right? Yeah. Um, and again, I don't want to, I want, I don't want to like the push the contrast too much because there's always been, again, black Muslim who've been out front, right? So, you know, so that's not, this is not completely new, but right. I think there's a sense of that. And I think it's, and I think it's fantastic, personally. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think it's great. I think, because, you know, one of the things I like to, I like to tell people sort of tongue-in-cheek a bit, you know, is that while we are, you know, a, um, a site that's primarily led by black Muslim women, you know, our content isn't only about and for black Muslim women, right? Yes. And so you can be inclusive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if, like, even if our if our body is. And, of course, this kind of inclusivity, again, again, is built into sort of what we do. So, like, even when we first started, and she's actually no longer um, a permanent member of the team, but one of the things that I tried to do was recruit someone who was black and Shia. Because, you know, for me, it's like, mm. yeah, we can say we want to do that, but you got to have people, like, at sort of, in the in the group because that's how that happens the most that actually that point uh it leads right into a question i was thinking about when you talk about documenting the black muslim experience in america Mm -hmm. that is a multi-layered and a diverse experience definitely how have you found have you you found things um as an anthropologist Mm -hmm. have you found things that have surprised you uh regarding the diversity um, well, you know, one of, one of the things we did when we first um, launched uh, the site, uh, we launched it on Malcolm X's birthday, and we did this kind of, we have something called special feature where we try to do something that kind of crosses all of our sections, because our sections are arts and culture, politics, history, religion. And so the special feature crosses all the sections. So one of the things we did, we did this sort of audio exhibit we call Refracting Light. And what we did was we had a series of black Muslims from different experiences sort of kind of talk about what Malcolm meant to them. And one of the women, one of the people that we invited to do this was a scholar. Her name is Zainab Ansari. 
and she's a she's a scholar in residence at the Taysayer Seminary, which is in Knoxville, Tennessee. And one of the things she explains to me, I didn't know this about her own history, but that her her parents and her family actually lived in Iran for a period of time, and they were part of kind of like a group of Black Muslims who, you know, were um, sort of had moved to Iran and. You know, as a way of kind of practicing their Islam, as a way of getting more knowledge about the religion and that kind of thing. And that kind of surprised me. Not that they went, because, I mean, I feel like that's not surprising, but that there was this history, right, that exists that really um, uh, we don't talk about or we don't know a lot about. So that kind of surprised me um, sort of in learning that. Um, but otherwise, I think, um, I don't know if I get surprised as much as... Um, it is just maybe sometimes you marvel at the depth of the experience and the diversity that there is. Um, being how I was raised, you know, I think I, I anticipate or I expect there to be a lot of differences, you know, um, in the black Muslim experience. But I think, um, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you always, it's always, you always feel like you're scratching the surface and there's just so much more, you know, um, that um, that that's there, you know. Yeah. Now this is not a. This really just popped in my head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but do you feel like um, Sapolo? Did I see it right? Sapolo. Sapolo. It's yeah. Sapolo. Yeah. Sap. Oh, it's just like sap. Yes. Sap. Sapolo. Okay. So I hope you all have this right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was for you, the benefit of, of you, the listener. So Sapolo. So do you feel like uh, Sapolo Square is, uh, well, how would you gauge its impact in, um, in creating or promoting people into activism? Because it, you know, it, it's such a wide range of, of, of commentary mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned earlier about the democratization of, mm-hmm. of media, how do you feel? Uh, are, you, are you looking at that as one of the like the metrics? Right. You know? Yes. Yeah, so I think yes, we are beginning to do that. I okay. think so. I don't. I, I don't have any numbers or anything like that <laughs> for you right now. But um, I think we are um, beginning to the, beginning to do that. Um, I think one of the things so we've noticed some. Um, um, in terms of, say, like a Facebook page or our Twitter feed and the kinds of ways people are engaging the work, yeah. um, I think there's a level of engagement that we're really excited about. And I think in terms of thinking about how that then manifests itself in people's actions, um, we're sort of at the beginning of tracking what, what that is and what that looks like. I think one of the things I have um, encountered uh, um, in relationship to this is, and that, su- that this surprises me, because sometimes you don't really know how to gauge if you're actually reaching people, yeah. right? Um, but when I, I encounter people that I don't know, and they're like, oh, yeah, we love Sapphire, <laughs> you know? And there, I was recently contacted by this democ- um, documentary filmmaker precisely who's doing some sort of documentary on Muslims in the United States. And she reached out to me precisely because of Sapolo. And she was saying she's learning so much by reading the site, right? And so I think that's great, (laughs) you know? And also because we're really um, intentional about demonstrating or reflecting a diverse um, black Muslim experience. And And I should, I just want to point this out, you know, Diversity for us is also an ethnicity, and yet people forget black people have ethnicity. Yes. And so black for us is 
you know, people who are the descendants of enslaved Africans in the U.S., mm. people who are the descendants of enslaved Africans in the Caribbean and Latin America, yes. people who are immigrants, recent immigrants from continental Africa, you know, so this is who we're talking about. And so the idea that this filmmaker, um, and it's a and it's a major network that she's working on this documentary for. So the idea that she is looking at our site and learning from it, and that's really going to shape how we're represented in her film, I think is really phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I would like your, your thoughts on this. Uh, as I think about what Sao Paulo Square Got it right. Said it right, people. Yeah, congratulations. South Palo Square, thank you. Um, about it, about what it represents as a, uh, as a platform for discussing and, and, uh, and displaying this diversity. Solidarity mm-hmm. is often mistaken for uniformity mm-hmm. or, right, or homogeneity. Right. right. Do you see, or I see it, but mm-hmm. would you agree that this is also kind of a contribution for for us seeing our solidarity in a different light while also embracing this yeah, idea of no, multiplicity. Yeah. No, I think so. I think I mean I think that is definitely, you know, they say don't confuse uniformity for unity, right? Yes. And and so uh, we're definitely uh, not confusing that at Sapelo. <laughs> but I think, um, and I've seen this both in my work at Sapelo, but also with the book, Muslim Cool, too. Thank you. Um, about to get into that. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, how um, I think in, I think black Muslims across our differences are really looking for ways to be connected to each other. Um and also connected to or reconnect to sort of the broader black community as well. And I think, so I think Sapelo arrives or emerges at a time that's really important because it can help facilitate that um, through the relationships we make, through the, the content we offer, through the relationships we build, the people who write for us, the relationships we build amongst ourselves um, as a team, um, and, 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 then, and then with other institutions and that sort of thing, you know? So I think... Um, that is something that we're really poised to do, we're already doing, and I think to be a leader in, I think is kind of sort of, you know, where where Sapelo fits. Okay. Um, We mentioned your book, Muslim Cool. Now, if you were listening last night, then you probably heard me say the wrong title, (laughs) even though my wife and I have the book (laughs) and have read the book. But, so... Muslim cool. Yes. Tell our listeners, um, give them, give us some background mm-hmm. um, because it, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal book. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm Muslim cool. So the reason why people get it wrong sometimes is because there's a documentary that I advise on called <laughs> New Muslim Cool, yeah. and um, and I saw so I kind of borrowed part of the term. And the reason why I dropped the new. Um, and I had talked to the director of the film about what inspired her to say new Muslim cool. Mm-hmm. And part of it, of course, was this idea of the cool and, and what that means. Um, but she saw it in some ways as a kind of a new phenomenon, whereas I, I, was, whereas I sort of understood it to be um, not new, um, sort of really rooted um, in, a, in a Muslim experience, and but but reflecting itself in, in sort of in sort of a variety of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Muslim cool for me then is a term that I use to describe a way of being Muslim, a way of thinking about what it means to be Muslim, a way of being Muslim in the United States that I've seen among young Muslims of a variety of ethnic um, backgrounds, male and female, who are engaging blackness to challenge anti-blackness, yeah. whether they, whether anti-blackness is in 
their Muslim community or whether it's in the broader U.S. society. And they're engaging blackness through hip-hop. Yeah. And this is also part of the cool part, right? Yeah. And so part of what that means is that they, you know, hip-hop, and I call it in the book the loop of Muslim cool, because hip-hop has a long-standing relationship with Islam, particularly black Islam. Yeah. And so because um, black Islam has shaped kind of hip-hop's ethical core, um, these young Muslims are able to sort of engage hip-hop and blackness as a way of being Muslim, because all of the themes and ideas that are sort of grounded in the tradition they can find in the music and culture. Right. And they kind of engage that um, through kind of their activism, through dress, um, through different ways of just kind of being in the world that then sort of translate into sort of how they are in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, and but it's complicated. Right. Because. we tend to think of hip hop. Whenever we talk about hip hop, you know, hip hop is this thing people either hate it. You know, it's like it's like the worst thing that ever happened to humanity, or, <laughs> or it's the best thing that ever happened to humanity. Right. And it's like you know, hip hop, like all forms of popular culture, is complicated. You know, they're part, at the same time, it can be really something that generates something really great and social justice oriented, and something that's completely like a. A kind of gross like product that you just use to sell a car you know like it yeah. can do those things and so likewise with Muslim cool you know Muslim cool is very much about counter countering anti-blackness but when you engage blackness and this is part of the point of the book too it's not just about how Muslims do it but how but how Muslims are engaging blackness reflects how the rest of us do it too is that you can both sort of engage in a kind of engage with blackness in a way that sort of challenges sort of anti-blackness or actually reproduces it there's a that's that's an awesome point there is a there's a point um there's an account that you give in the book that that i speak that i think was so powerful because it spoke to this mm-hmm. relationship with uh capitalism mm-hmm. um and it was a sister i believe she was wearing fatigues and uh, the camouflage yeah. yes the yeah. camouflage yeah and it was uh, basically, you know, to paraphrase, it was somebody wanted to, I'm going to use a little bit of lingo here, uh, somebody wanted to bite her style, <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. They wanted to, to dress like her. Mm-hmm. But for her, it was, this is what I have, and I am, I'm using what I have, mm-hmm. but how we, but how Islam or how our Muslimness manifests itself through, mm-hmm. you know, our, our ability to say, I'm going right. to take what I have and I'm going to work with it. Right. But somebody else sees dollar signs in that. <laughs> Right, right. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a, sort of an opening kind of vignette in the book. And Esperanza is her name. And she yeah. says she has this camouflage scarf. And there was this sort of, um, she called her a Pakistani girl. That's what she called her. Yeah. Um, so the South Asian American Muslim woman was like, oh, your scarf is cool. Can I get one? And she sort of, I guess, but, you know, yeah. sort of this idea that, you know, it really, she was talking about cultural appropriation, right? Because the point, she makes this point, she's like, you know, you're going she's like she's like you know you you're going home you like you i think she said something like you eat silverware that's actually silver and now you're trying to take my scarf right (laughs) right Right. and so and 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 she ends the vignette saying you know i know you know you can't control people to what they can and cannot wear and i get that but you but but if you do take from somebody else right you can at least show have some knowledge and show respect and i think that is sort of one of the key things um that is a kind of tension in the book and in the work, but something that people are working on, you know, it really is this idea of, because the thing about cultural appropriation is precisely that. It's like, typically you see something someone else has, you have more power than they do. You take it, you use it, but you don't have any relationship to them. 
right? And so we so we try to mediate that, try to do that a little bit differently um, uh, by actually having relationships. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book um, when I talk about non-black Muslim youth is that their work at having relationships with black people in black communities, right? So that they're not just sort of taking something, oh, because they like this scarf style, it's cool, or like hip hop, it's cool, but really sort of having a real relationship because that's what solidarity is about, right? right. You know, um, we, I mean, it's always going to be a little bit sticky because we, we have a history of, of kind of black culture being taken and appropriated and we can't escape our history. It is what it is. But we can, right, try to work in ways that don't, that doesn't repeat that history, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is kind of some of the work of Muslim cool um, that I saw happening. And here in Chicago, which is primarily (laughs) where I was doing my research. Yes. So where can folks, uh, where can folks get the book? Well, yes. So they can... Anywhere books are sold. <laughs> so, but not, like I said in another interview, but not in the back of my truck uh, because I don't carry them. Although I'm going to start because people keep asking me. And so I she guess always have I, 10 need, books with you. I need to. I mean, these books, are, the book is kind of heavy. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, they can go to sort of nyupress.org, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. They can go to my website, drsuad.com, where I have some links um, where you can get that. I also have some cool other information about the book some of the key concepts that are in there. Um, I, I do a lot of work in the book on style and fashion, and so I have some photos up there um, about the different kinds of styles related to Muslim Cool. So check it well, out I'm, I'm going to say that I know we were, we were fortunate to be able to get you in here uh, for the time that we had, but yes. we, re- we really need to get you back. Yes. <laughs> yes, inshallah, when things slow down a little bit more, we can, we can revisit this Yes, yes, because yeah, there, there's so much more, but we really appreciate you being here. No, thank um, you. Oh, lastly, um, um, Square dot com dot com. Uh, any other social media? Yes, yeah, so you can follow um, Sapelo at Sapelo Square on Twitter. We have a Facebook page as well. We also recently on Instagram, so we're like yes. doing it for the gram. You know, trying to <laughs> get that together. You know, I'm also on. Twitter at Dr. Suad. Um, I have a Facebook page, Suad Abdul Kabir, and also this Muslim cool book on Instagram. So we're trying to, you know, get our, you know, we're trying to be hip, you know, like all, yeah. like, you know, what, what the young kids do in these days. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but, you know, check us out. You know, let us know what you think. If you want to, con- we're always looking for con- contributors. You know, if you want to be down, we, we call ourselves the squad. So if you want to be part of the squad, you know, reach out as well. Okay. Well, uh, for the non-Muslim audience, I just said praise be to God. Uh, So we thank you so much for being here. Uh, You're definitely in our dua and our prayer. We pray for your continued success, the uh, success of uh, Sapelo Square. Uh, you know, and everybody that that, that's a part of making that a reality. Uh, Continue to do the great work you're doing. Have a safe Western trip uh, and Eastern trip as you skip over Chicago. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, All right, folks. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed uh, tonight's program. We will be back tomorrow uh, speaking with Dr. Malik Rahim. Uh, we've got a great program uh, lined up for tomorrow. As always, uh, the words, anything that was said is strictly the views of the speakers and not necessarily the thoughts or the, uh, the stance of our parent company, Sound Vision. Our engineer in studio tonight, the masterful Ibrahim Baig. Uh, Ramon? Okay, and our engineer at WCEV is Ramon. You have been listening to Radio Islam, broadcasting seven days a week, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central. 
Remember, if you haven't gotten to following us on social media, get at us at US at uh, Radio Slam USA. I leave you as I greeted you with peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. See you tomorrow night. Thank you.